and our kids can head towards kids' class back there. Thank you. In case you didn't get the chance to come hang out in Los Animas with us this week, um, we, we were involved in, I'm just going to say, a mighty work. Um, you know, we've been in Los Animas, we've been trying and thinking and praying about what that's going to look like for years. This January, Dennis and uh, his family moved here and, um, and really confirmed the call that said, yeah, they're, they're supposed to be there, church planning. Last week, we had a mission team come in from Texas, a group that's been coming up and helping us here in Lahana for a number of years, and they and us teamed up together this week to really reach the community. Um, every, almost every home in Los Animas was, had, a, had a knock on their door. If they were home, they had a personal conversation. Um, if they weren't, they got invited by a flyer anyway um, to join Bible study and activity in Los, at Los Animas at the church there. And I just got to say, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. Uh, we did not have huge crowds. We did not have, you know, we didn't have 500 people show up, which would have been, I mean, utterly unbelievable. Um, but what we did have was a whole lot of people who got connected and encouraged and who know there's a ministry going on there. They know that God is doing something. Um, and we received a lot of positive feedback from the community, just really excited about what's going on. So um, if you got a chance to be there, I just want to say thank you. Um, for coming out, for being a part of that, whether that was for one night or for every night. Um, I know if I, I had Dennis come up, he'd say the same thing. Um, and so just want to say thank you for all that. I'm going to be talking at the very end of our service about what Kids Club here at, and Bible Study and Community Dinner look like here this week, this Thursday night. We are on here, and we're going to be begin doing some ministry. And um, I'll just tell you what I told Scott. Um, we are either going to fail as a church or succeed as a church, right? We have no idea who's going to come. We have no idea if anybody's going to come, but no matter what we do this week on Thursday night, we are doing it as a church, okay? And so right now, I just want you to think about how you can be involved. We'll talk more about that later, um, but I just want to say that you should be thinking about that because um, I have zero desire Scott has zero desire. Our leadership has zero desire to be the only ones doing stuff. Uh, and so we just, we're looking forward to serving with, with each other as a church, and not just Thursday night, but there are opportunities every day this week to get involved in what that's going to look like. And so uh, I'll talk about that at the end of the service. One of the interesting things that happened this week is that we had a car drive past the mission team on the street here outside our church and yell out the window, we're coming for you. It's a car that we had seen in Los Animas earlier that day, a house that we had knocked on the door. Now, nothing ever happened with it. But it reminded me that we are a people, and the Bible assumes this, we are a people who should be under attack. Now, that may sound funny to say. Right? Pastor Matt, why, why should we be under attack? Well, I'll just tell you that we should be under attack because the Bible tells us very clearly that as Christians, we should be, that we will be 
under attack. We are reminded in Scripture, many times, many places, but two specifically, that we have an enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war, church. 1 Peter 5, 8, Betsy read this for us earlier along with the rest of its context. Paul writes to, or Peter writes rather, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If Peter is to be believed, if Scripture is to believe, then, then the devil is prowling around looking for someone to devour. And that someone might be you. Or it might be the person sitting next to you in the pew. Or it might be your neighbor, or it might be your kids or your grandkids. It might be me. We have an enemy that is seeking someone to devour. A couple weeks ago, I posted on Facebook a, a picture of a bunch of zebras. And in the background, there's a bunch of zebras kind of hanging out together, helplessly watching a lion attack one of their zebra friends. And the caption on the picture was, if... I don't need church was a meme or was a picture, right? Because the zebra by itself has no community to protect it from the roaring lion. First John, or not first John, John 15, 20. Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I want to draw your attention to those last five words. They will also persecute you. Now, was Jesus persecuted? The answer is yes. What does that mean? It means that we too will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.10 And reading on here. This is Paul writing, he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Hear this in verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You hear the promise being made there? Do you hear the guarantee being made there? That those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Now Christian, I don't know about you, I don't know where you are today. I don't know exactly what's going on in your lives. At least some of you, some of you I know quite well exactly what's going on. But the question that I would ask in terms of, in light of these two promises that have been made. One, that if we follow Christ like he was persecuted, we will be persecuted. The second promise that is made is that if we desire to live a godly life, we too will be persecuted. 
Where's your persecution, Christian? Where is your persecution? Where are you being attacked right now? Who is doing the attacking? Friends, the Bible is really clear. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but the Bible is really clear that if we are to live for God, on mission for Him, trying to reach the, the, the still lost, maybe not yet found people of this world, this earth who need Jesus still, if we are going to stand on biblical truth, that at some point or another, more often than not, we too will face persecution. And the question that we need, after we ask the question, where is your persecution? Because the answer might not be, it might be that, that there isn't any. And that's another whole thing for us to address by the end of this sermon. But if it's going to happen, then how are we going to stand in it? If there is no attack, though, church, there is likely a problem in your life and in your faith. If you are right now, this week, this month, this year, not being attacked, there is a problem in your faith. Because it means that neither the world who hates Christ nor the devil who hates Christ has decided that you are worth attacking. Just pause in that for a minute. If there is no attack in your life, then the world and the devil have counted you to not be an adversary. They have counted you out of the fight. They are unconcerned with you and with what you're going to do with your life and your faith. And church, that should be really concerning to you. And it's deeply concerning to me when I think about it as your pastor and as I pray for you all and shepherd you because I'm responsible for you. The Bible tells me that too. That I must give an account for every soul, every sheep that Christ has given me. Now if we're going to talk about attack, we need to be really clear for a minute. Because when I say attack, I, I want to make sure we know what I'm talking about. When I say attack, when I say persecution, I do not mean that you live a hard life, that you live a difficult life, that you are facing challenging circumstances, or that you are around difficult people. Guess what? You don't need to be saved to go through all those things. You don't need to be under attack to have a difficult life. You don't need to be under attack to have difficult people in your life and difficult circumstances that pile on and pile on and pile on. Guess what? Scripture talks about that too. It's called the fall. And every one of us suffers the results of the fall, that there is sin in this world, and that because of that, life is hard. We are living under a curse. In Genesis chapter 3, it tells us what that curse will entail, and then in the rest of the scriptures, we see how that boils out and what that means for people. I got news for you. You don't have to live a godly life in Christ to suffer. People do that anyway. So when I talk about attack, I don't mean that we're facing some difficult things and they're hard things, okay? Now, let me say this real quick. Perhaps, 
sometimes those things add up in a certain way in a specific season so that they pile on in such a way that discernment in our souls does in fact tell us that these things are an attack. Okay? I think about some of the circumstances, the things, even the medical stuff that Dennis has faced since they moved here. And it's got me wondering, hey, what is Satan preventing by throwing up issue and thing and problem and struggle? But even they would be mistaken to say every problem they've had since they moved here is an attack. Some of it's just bad luck. You're living in a fallen world. Okay? When I'm talking about when I talk about attack, it's something more. It's something more. See, the trouble is when we assume that every bad thing that happens to us is the devil's attack or is people coming against us, then what we're doing is, is we're assuming really one of three things. And I don't like any of these assumptions. The first thing that we're assuming is that the devil and God typically fight in the same way with petty pot shots at one another's people. Right? Because if you're a Christian and non-Christians experience the same pot shots, then where are they coming from? They're either coming from God, and i got to tell you, I don't believe that God takes pot shots at people. I think he operates on a whole different level. Or we must assume that what those things are is the devil taking pot shots at people that are already with him. Which makes no sense, because half the time it's the pot shots on people that cause them to turn to Jesus in the first place. Right? It's the difficult things and circumstances in life, the sin in this world, that causes people to say, you know what, I know there's something better than this. See, I don't think we can assume that these things are just simply an attack. Because if they are, then either God is doing it or the devil is doing it, and sometimes those things just do not make sense. Instead, friends, when we look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, we see that there is a persecution that will come. And when I want to say when the Bible assumes attack, it assumes that God's people, in seeking to live faithful, steadfast lives, in seeking to be on mission for God, which is part of living a faithful, steadfast life. Brian talked about that last week, if you were here. If you weren't here, it's what uh, Pastor Brian from Canyon Lake talked about. That every one of us, if we're a child of God, is called to be on mission and called to be serving together and called uh, to be reaching the lost and using our various gifts for that purpose. Church, in seeking to be a holy, to be holy as God is holy, in seeking to be a people that is set apart for God's work in this world, in seeking to be a people like Jesus, we will be persecuted. Here's what I mean by that. I mean unmistakable attack on you, your spouse, and your family unmistakable attack on you, your spouse, and your family. I mean hatred from people that you know. Not just hatred from Facebook land ideas for what you believe about God, the world, sin, and lost people. Now take note, that is not hatred for uh, your political ideologies or your lack of tact in talking about your religious ideology, uh, ideologies but that you are hated by people that you know because of what you believe, because the Bible is your source of knowledge. 
I mean direct physical attacks on your life, your well-being, including your financial means and your personal stability. And I mean spiritual attacks and temptation, depression, and the lies of the devil that seek to crush us, to crush our spirits, and to steal our joy. Now let me just take a quick note here to say that if you are a joyless Christian, then these attacks have already succeeded and won. You've already been devoured by the lion. When I talk about attack, I, I think about things that are happening around the world, and I think about the things that we often say as American Christians about being attacked that makes incredible light over the Christians who are dying for their faith and going to jail for the faith and losing their businesses for their faith and any other manner of things that are happening around the world to our brothers and sisters. Because the scriptures are true when it says, if you desire to live a faithful life, you will be persecuted. I don't want to make light of any of those people in any of those situations. And we need to be careful when we label attacks that they're actually attacks and not just a bad day. Friends, now, we've been in our introduction for a long time now. We haven't even gotten to Psalm 64. When I think about the Psalms, I think about Psalm after Psalm after Psalm where David or somebody else is under attack. And I realized as I was preparing the message this week that I had no idea what to say to our church about this. I have preached dozens of messages because we're in Psalm 64. We have preached 63 Psalms before today. Well over half of them have been about being attacked and what we do in that. And I was thinking, man, you know what? I don't even know if our people get attacked. Like, I don't know how many of our people are living lives that are worthy of attack. And that isn't, to, that isn't to, to, to squash you or to put you down in any way. Because I know some of us are. I also know that some of us aren't. And I thought, man, Lord, what does this psalm have to do with us? Now, i got to tell you, whenever you read a psalm or anything in Scripture and you think, this doesn't apply to me, you're already in trouble. You just are. And that was when God reminded me of the prowling lion. That's when God reminded me of the promises of persecution. And that is when I realized that what we need to talk today is the reality is that we should all be in persecution. And if we're not, that's a problem maybe that we need to address fully on another day. Because the question falls, and as we come into Psalm 64 today, the question lands for us today, uh, and how are we going to handle it when it comes? Because here's the deal. Here's what I don't want to do today. I don't want to tell you all the ways to get persecuted and not have you be equipped to walk through it. That would be a foolish thing to do as a pastor. I really don't want to be a fool. And so we're going to look at Psalm 64, and we are going to see what Psalm 64 has to say to us about walking through persecution, walking through attack, walking through. And in the course of today, you may just sit here and think, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been attacked before. And if that's you, we're going to talk more at the end. Or you may think, you know what, Pastor Matt, this is, the exactly what, this is exactly what I need today because I just feel like all I am is being attacked right now. I feel like every time I open my eyes, I, my ears hear anything, anytime I see anything, every interaction I have with people is just an attack. Well, I hope that today's a lot of good news for you. On the other hand, uh, in a whole different group, you might be someone who's sitting here today and you are literally one of the attackers. You are one of those 
who is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And what you do in your life is cause constant distraction, constant problem, constant issue, with no healing and no hope. And you spend a whole lot of time and energy bringing other people down with you. And if that's you today, I pray that you would find yourself through this and realize what the result of that will be. And I hope that today there's a repentance for you that would draw you to be one of those who in Christ will be actually on the receiving end of attack. I, church, I pray for every one of us that we would be on the receiving end of attack. I pray that every one of us today as we go through this would be counted worthy by the devil and by the world to be in this fight. That none of us by our sin, none of us by our behavior, none of us by our attitude, none of us by our apathy or anything else would just simply be disqualified from it today, but that we would be able to join together. And so let's read Psalm 64. This is again a Psalm of David. He's under attack. Probably Saul and his people are attacking. We don't know specifically. Here's what it says. Hear my voice, O God. In my complaint, preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers, yet wet their tongue, or who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them. They search out injustice, saying we have accomplished a diligent search. For the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who seek them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell that what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. We should be encouraged by David because I think David may be the most attacked man in human history. And yet his constant hope is in Christ. And my prayer is that our constant hope would be in Christ. Church, Scripture assumes a battle. We've already talked about that. Scripture assumes a cosmic battle that we get to be a part of. And if you are a Christian, you are on the winning side of and if you are not yet a Christian, or if you do not become a Christian, then you will not be on the winning side of that battle. We can't assume from reading Scripture, and not just Psalm 64, that an attack is coming. And we can assume from reading Psalm 64 and many other places that that attack will be harsh and hard and utterly terrifying. The word that captured me in this psalm the most as I was reading and preparing is in verse 1, and it is the word dread. The phrase that we see here, David prays, preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Dread is this deep fear. In fact, dread is a paralyzing fear. David, in, in his wisdom, knows that the biggest weapon of the enemy is fear. It is dread. 
It is fear and, and terror of what might be and what might come. It is terror and fear of being overwhelmed by the attacks that will come. It is fear that God won't show up at just the right time to rescue and save us. It is fear. Fear of what the enemy can do. Fear of how far they will go. It is attached to specific fears that we might have. That if we truly live by God's word, we truly desire to live a faithful life, we truly enter into his mission of reaching the lost, the currently lost for Christ, that what is going to happen is that we will be utterly rejected or that we might lose everything, that, that we might find ourselves alone without help or that we might fear that we would miss out on something that we wouldn't otherwise want to miss out on. Fear has a power over us, or at least it can. I was thinking about this a lot this week. Friends, you need to hear this. The enemy doesn't have a lot of weapons. The enemy does not have a lot of weapons. But the, ep- the, the weapons the enemy wields, he does so skillfully and carefully. Fear, dread, worry, anxiety. These he wields well enough to destroy us. There are other weapons as well. There is temptation and sin. There's doubt. But in my life, I know the thing that keeps me the most from being the man that God has called me to be has been and still is fear. There's a lot of fears I could list. I'm not going to get into all of them. Now, as we look at our psalm today, I just want to tell you, I kind of stole the outline today from a commentator. I really liked what he did. And I said, you know what? That's exactly what our people need to hear. Very rarely does that happen. Usually I change some things. I modify some things. I go in a whole new direction. Um, but I, I looked at this and I said, wow, that's, that is what we need to hear today. Here's where we're going to we're going to go today. First, we're going we're gonna to know that we need to seek the Lord's protection. The second thing we're going to look at is asking for the Lord's wisdom. The third thing we're going to look at is trusting in the Lord's victory. And the fourth thing is giving glory to the Lord. So let's ta- start with seeking the Lord's protection. Verse 1 and 2. David says, Hear my voice, O God, and my complaint preserve my life from the dread of the enemy hide me from the secret plots of the wicked from the evil from the throng of evil doers there's a lot of times when i read the psalms and i think wow david does this better than i do now i imagine david does it better than i do because david did it a lot more than i did and in the end it mattered more that he found help and hope sooner than i did as the king of a nation Sometimes I think David had it easier. He so often found himself in impossible odds and so often found himself beyond himself, beyond his own strength, that it caused in him a first reaction of turning straight to the Lord. Not to himself and not to anything else. Maybe it was hard at first. I think about David and I think about a man who had at least some level of charisma some level of strength and skill. 
Perhaps maybe at first he rested on his own pride and his own ego and on his title as the anointed one. I mean, that's got to carry something, right? I'm the anointed one. And he fell and he he sinned and he messed up and whatever else he did. And he quickly realized that what he needed to do was turn to the Lord first. When, when the attacks of the enemy come in your life, what's your first reaction? Is it to get angry and fight back? Is it to run and flee? Is it to hide? Is it to get drunk or stoned? Or is it to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I am without hope but for you. In verse 2, David says, hide me from the throngs. I don't use that word throngs in my everyday language. It is a weird word. It means the multitude, the crowd. Guys, David's enemies were plenty. Too many, in fact. Often multiplying for multiple sides and for multiple reasons. There are times when, while David is dealing with this conflict, somebody sneaks around the other side and hits him with a whole other one at the same moment. Sometimes, literally on the battlefield, we read that David is surrounded by enemies. And I would imagine that as the giant killer, a man with a title that everyone wants to seek after, every army he faced was full of young men who thought, if I could but kill David, I could make a name for myself. David walks out on the battlefield and every person around him says, that's the guy I'm going to kill today i got to be honest, I would love to be the kind of Christian that I walked out of my home in the morning and instantly every enemy and every spiritual war that, that could happen says, oh man, that's the guy I'm going for today. I would love to be that kind of a Christian. One, because it might shield some of you. Two, because it means that I'm actually doing something worth being attacked, like David was throughout his entire life. David found himself attacked from all sides so often that he had to count on the Lord at all times. He's not the only one in Scripture that we see appeal to the Lord for protection. It's that great story in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are about to be thrown into a fiery furnace, and their response is what? We know our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we're still just going to glorify him. They're rescued. God is glorified. And people come to know him. The Bible is full of stories of men and women who turned to God when the attack came and not to something else, not to their own means, but to him alone. And the reality, church, is that some of them were preserved, but not all of them. And what we need to know in being attacked and being persecuted is what Christians around the world know and places where missionaries that we know today are getting ready to head out to, that the right kind of attack could come that would bring about the end of life, that would bring about imprisonment. Not all are rescued. And let me ask you, if if persecution came to you, an attack came, and, and God didn't rescue you, would that be okay with you? 
the way it was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Church, we need to be a people that seeks the Lord's protection. And i got to tell you, we have to be good at doing this when the attack is not coming, so that when it does come, we're ready for it. The worst thing we can do is say, all right, on that day, I will be ready. You know, on that day, I... No, you won't. I won't. Not if we wait till that day to put into practice the faith that is required to stand up. When our life is called to account. All right, so what do we do? How do we seek the Lord's protection? The first thing we need to do is practice praying before we react. Before we get angry, before we get sad, before we get hurt, before we go off and do something, we need to pray. This is a challenge for some of us because some of us treat prayer like an optional activity. You know who doesn't treat prayer like an optional activity? People who are suffering for their faith. People who are going through hard times. People who expect this world to be tough and difficult and challenging, who expect to not make it, then to do the next minute, let alone the next hour or the next day, if it weren't for God's intervention in their life. Are you a person who treats prayer like an optional activity, or are you a person who treats prayer like your only hope today? We need to pray before we react. One of the ways that we do that is to pray before there is a need to react. Do you start off your day, your week, your month devoted to prayer? Do you spend enough time in prayer by yourself, preparing your own heart with the Lord, so that in the moment when something happens, your first reaction is to prayer rather than to the F word? Or whatever other way you respond when things go do not go your way. Let me ask you this. If you hit yourself in the hand with a hammer this afternoon, would you swear or pray? as your first word. Where's your heart? The second thing we need to do is we need to join in with other believers. God designed the church in a very specific way so that we would be a people who rely on each other in the name of relying on him. I gotta tell you, in the attacks that I have faced, and I have faced some attacks in my spiritual life as, as a church planner here in, La, in, in Lahana. Some of you know that there has been violence threatened against me and my family. Some of you know that, that I've been in homes kicked out and, and, and told to go outside and, and I don't know what they were going to do. I haven't had a fist fight since I was like 12. I got to tell you, if it wasn't for the people in this church that I can call after those moments, that I can be with after those moments to come sit in my house with me. When I'm worried and nervous that somebody might just show up. Guys, if it wasn't for that, I'd be lost. God created us in such a way to rely on one another in his name. That none of us would be the zebra off doing its thing, getting devoured by a lion, while all the rest of us are kind of watching from a distance help, uh, helplessly. And I've got to tell you, I have never seen someone who, who made church a priority, Sunday morning and, and community group and Bible studies and all kinds of other gatherings and ways that we're supposed to rely on each other. I've never seen someone engaged at that level get devoured by a lion. But I have seen a lot 
of solo Christians just get eaten up and ripped to shreds. We got to go to the Lord first. We do that through prayer. We do that with each other. All right, the next thing we do, we're going to see David do, is seek the Lord's wisdom. Verses 3 through 6, we see the bulk of the attack that's coming. Let me just remind us of what this is. He says, Those who wet their tongues like swords, who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them. They search out injustice, saying, We have accomplished a diligent search. For the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. What we see here are the qualities of the attack that is coming against David. And I got to tell you, this list, I know why he's got dread in his life. I know exactly why he's saying, Lord, keep me from that dread. Because if this was, was just coming down on me, I'd be afraid too. I'd be paralyzed too. I mean, you look through this list, you got secret plots, you got tongues like swords, aimed arrows, ambushes, sudden attacks without fear, so there's no hesitation involved. You've got relentless attacks, secret plots, and verse 6, this is my favorite phrase in here. He says, they search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. What he's saying is there is they are on a quest to find new and awful ways to attack him. Like, they're not just leaving it content to the old ways. They're not just leaving it at the, at the snares and those things that he's used to. They are out there looking for new and fun and creative ways to come against him. How many times have I said to you that, that we are a people who not just do evil, but look for new and creative ways to do evil? It's exactly what David is talking about here. They are literally seeking out injustice to do to him. And the scary thing is it says at the end, they say, they say, we have accomplished a diligent search. What does that mean? It means they figured it out. They figured out a new attack that David wasn't going to see coming. But here's the thing, David does see it coming. I love this. I love that David looks, he says, God, here are all the ways they're attacking me. Even some new and creative ones. How does David know that? Because David is a man that seeks wisdom. David is a man who seeks wisdom. The Lord's wisdom to be specific. He's aware of the plots. He knows what's coming. His eyes are open. Let me ask you a quick question. Are your eyes open to the attacks that are coming? Do you see when the devil prowls around you ready to devour you? Or whenever it happens... You're like, oh man, I didn't see that coming at all. Are you someone who, when you see it, says, danger, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to steer clear of this activity or this thought pattern or this behavior or even just this location. David is a man that seeks after the Lord, and because of that, the Lord gives him wisdom. You look at verse 6 here at the end, and it says, For the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. What David is saying there is that as he looks at his attackers, their plots go really deep, right? They are thinking a lot. And what he's saying is, because I know that, I know that I too 
need to go deep. I, too, need to find that place. And his place isn't his own life. It's, it's in God's. When the attacks are beyond us, we need wisdom from beyond us to see it, understand, and to respond to it. And there's a promise in Scripture that we need to be reminded of in James 1, verse 5. We've already been through two promises today. Those promises were really kind of depressing promises that if we desire to be faithful, if we live for Jesus, that we will be persecuted. Here's another promise that gets made. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You as a believer can go to God and say, Lord, I am not wise enough to make it through the attacks that I know are coming for me. And Scripture promises us that God will give us the wisdom we need to make it through. And not just wisdom for that, but wisdom for everything. This is a wide-open promise of wisdom. If any of us lacks wisdom, God who gives generously to all without approach, it will be given to him. So whether it's an attack coming or you're dealing with problems and stress and strife or whatever else it is or big decisions to make, go to God. Pray to him. Ask for wisdom. Some of you, let me just say this, some of you need to be praying for wisdom every single day, multiple times a day. I say that as your pastor, I say that because I love you. I know it's true because I know it's true for me. It's not an insult. It's not me trying to put you down. I am not wise enough to make it through the attacks that come against me. I am not wise enough to make it through the attacks that come against our church. I am not wise enough to help you make it through the attacks that are coming against you as your shepherd. I am wise enough to know that I'm not wise enough for any of that and that I need to seek God's wisdom every single day as the shepherd of this church. If you need wisdom, ask him for it. If you need wisdom, ask him for it. You can also find wisdom. It's a gift that he gives, but it's also found. Where is it found? The book of Proverbs. I mean, it's found in the rest of Scripture as well. But if you ever go to the book of Proverbs, you, you're reading about wisdom and, and what is wise and what's not wise, you actually read about all the normal attacks that are made. Like if you're saying, hey, I'm always blindsided by the attacks when they come, go read the book of Proverbs and read all about the attacks before they get there. Read about the attacks that come from outside. Read about the attacks that come from inside. Be made wise. The third thing we see in this psalm is that David trusts the Lord for victory. Look at me at verse 7 and 8. It says, But God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. David turns now to what God is doing and what he will do, but he turns to what God is doing. And one of the things I just want you to notice in this is that God basically takes the things that David has observed they're going to do to him, and God takes those things and he does them to the enemies. Right? Where the saints are going to send arrows, God sends arrows. Where the saints, or where, where the, or it's not, where, not where the saints, where the attackers are sending arrows, God sends arrows. 
where the attackers are working suddenly in an ambush, so too God moves and acts quickly and without warning. God takes the attacks that come from their tongues and he uses their own words against them. Friends, David rests and trusts in the victory of God. And David hasn't even conceived yet of Jesus dying on the cross. David knows the end of the story, and he doesn't even know the points along the way that get to that victory, but he knows God's going to win. Church, we are a people who know the cross, who know what Jesus did on the cross to win that victory over death and over sin. And we are a people who forget all the time that the victory's already been won. That no matter what attack comes our way, we have nothing to fear. We know who wins in the end. We know that Jesus won that by the cross and that all who would believe in him are entitled to that victory. We've read it in other places in Scripture. All who are in him, Book of John tells us, are able, are privileged to call themselves because God has called them children of God. And we know that in Scripture we're told that all who are children of God get a full inheritance in the kingdom as his sons and daughters. If you're in him, you already have the victory. You already have it. It's not even that it's coming. You already have it. I already have it. It's one of the reasons why I can say with confidence that I'd love to walk out of my house every day and be one of the most attacked people in Lahana. Because I don't want to live with dread and fear about what might come, but I know the victory's already been won. Church, I want us to be a people that when we walk out those doors this morning, or maybe this afternoon if I preach long enough, that we would walk out of this place as the most attacked church in this community because Satan and the world has counted us worthy of that attack, and I pray that every one of us would be ready for that because we are in him. For some of you, you're not in him yet. And that terrifies me because when you walk out of this place, if we are the most attacked place, then you might just find yourself being a zebra by yourself. But there is victory in the Lord, and it's already promised to those of us who are in him. And because of that, we can, as David does, and this is the fourth point, we can give glory to the Lord. We can give glory to the Lord. Verses 9 and 10, David writes, Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. Verse 9, he says, All the world. Now, when I read all in the Bible, I usually assume the way you should that he means all. But we know not that, that not all mankind are going to be saved. There are those who will never turn to him. What David is saying is that, look, everybody in the world is going to see this victory. Everybody in the world is already seeing what God has done in power and might to rescue and save his people. They're seeing it. He says they're pondering it. He says they ponder it. 
and they talk about it. It says they tell what God has brought about. But that doesn't mean they believe it. They talk about it. They ponder about it. They think about it. Church, in a battle, soldiers on both sides of the battle know what amazing feats were done on the battlefield. Right? When two armies go back to their sides and, and there was that one guy out in the middle of it who just destroyed everybody, soldiers on his side are going, man, did you see what Bob did? Bob did an amazing thing. Soldiers on the other side, are you see what that guy did? We are done. But it doesn't mean they're going to change sides. Church, are you someone who just ponders what God has done? Who thinks on it? Who knows about it? Maybe even you tell other people about it. But it does not cause a change in you. It, it, it keeps you right where you are. You're amazed maybe at what God has done, but, but you're really content sitting on your side of the field. Church, those who, those who are in him give glory to him for the victory that's already been won, for all the amazing and wonderful things that he's done. Those who are in him give him glory even when we are sitting in the midst of the attack. Hear this. Look at verse 10. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. David is rejoicing even though he's still in the shadow of God's wing. Even though the attack is still there, even though by all means the victory hasn't been won yet, even though he hasn't seen the result of it yet, he's rejoicing while still taking refuge in him. Are we a people who rejoice in Christ even while the attack is still coming, while the arrows are still flying, while the cruel words are still ringing in our ears? While temptation is still knocking at our door and trying to steal our joy, are we a people who rejoice in the Lord even in the attack? Church, one of the reasons why we can so often rejoice in the Lord even in the attack is because we have been counted worthy. First Peter tells us that. If you ever find yourself in, in a season of attack, here's what you do. You go and you read First Peter. All of it. It's not long. I had a season of attack fairly recently, a really heavy one. Some of you guys know about it. I haven't shared it publicly. It's kind of crushed me. And there was one afternoon I was exhausted. I hadn't slept because this just was just rolling in my head and, and trouble and pain. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm just hurting. And I opened up First Peter, and I just read it. And then I lay down on my bed, and I fell asleep for the first time in three days. First Peter opens up with the words to be being thankful for being counted worthy of suffering for Christ. Are you someone who has been able to count yourself worthy of suffering in Christ? Because the world and the devil have found you worthy of suffering in Christ. If not, you're missing out. You're missing out on something. My fear is that what you're missing out on is salvation itself. 
My fear is that you've missed out on how amazing and beautiful and wonderful Christ is. My fear, if you've never been counted worthy of suffering, is that, is that you are missing out on Christ himself. And what's at stake, church, is your soul. But not yours alone. What's at stake is the souls of men and women who are already dying in eternal death because of their sin as, sin as enemies of God. You're not alone. You're with them. The enemy is still seeking to kill and destroy. Here's the beautiful thing, church. The weapons of the devil are for your destruction. But when you read Scripture, what are the weapons of God for? Life. The devil seeks to kill and destroy, John 10.10. But Jesus came, why? That we might have life. We're told in, in the Bible that the purpose of Scripture is to give us life. The purpose of truth is that we would have life. It acts as a sword that cuts away the cancer of our lives. Here's what I love, church. If we are on God's side and we are his warriors, then what our weapons all do is bring life and not death. But if you are on the side of the enemy, and maybe you're even fighting for him, then everything you do is for death. And that's heartbreaking. The first thing that is at stake in all of this, in this war and in this battle, is life and death eternally for men and women, maybe you, who do not know Christ yet. The second thing that is at stake is joy. The second thing that is at stake at this battle is joy. Here at Calvary, we, we talk about this a fair bit. We, our, our goal, our mission is to make joyful, passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. Sometimes people ask, well, why joy? Why of all the qualities of a disciple do we pick joy? Well, because without joy, I think all the other qualities don't exist. Without joy, faithfulness, I mean, what, where is it? Where's gentleness without joy? The other reason, I think, is because joy is the only one that can be seen. Like, I don't know if you're faithful. I don't know who you are in your heart when you're all alone in the dark at your house. I don't know if you're gentle when you're dealing with your family, your, your spouse, your kids, or your neighbors. The various qualities that we're supposed to have as Christians, I don't know, I can't see it. But here's something I do know. I know whether or not you're joyful. I know whether or not joy rings in your life, even when things are really hard. Even when the attack comes. Joy is at stake. And joy is a sign of life. Third thing is at stake is God's glory in this battle. And that isn't to say that, that in this battle, His glory either is taken away or given. God's glory is a constant. It is permanent. But how we experience it and how other people experience it or if they do it all is at stake. If we are a people, the world has counted. If we are a people, the devil has counted as being worthy of attack. Then we are a people that are showing God's glory all around us. 
And people are going to see that and respond to Christ or not. As we finish up, I, I want to say it. I think there's three kinds of people in this room right now who are hearing this. And maybe there's other groups, but I'm just going to go with three. I hope there aren't many of these. I hope there aren't any of these, honestly. The first group of those who are actually sitting on the enemy's side. A number of weeks ago, we were here in church. And as I sat here, I had a disquiet in my spirit. And as I had a disquiet in my spirit, there was a distraction that was happening that I don't think many other people were aware of, but I was. And in that moment, I said to the Lord, Lord, if that person has a demon, quiet it. Let it not make another sound. The person that was making that disturbance didn't speak another word the rest of the day. Big pause. There might be some of these people who are on the enemy's side and don't even know it. Who are a regular part of our church, a regular part of our worship, people that we reach out to, people that we have lunch with, coffee with. Maybe you are one of them. Maybe in your soul right now, it's sitting and you're going, the light is shining and it's beginning to burn. Maybe that's you. If that's you right now, then I just want to tell you, switch sides. <laughs> Fight on the side of life and on the side of light. Be for the Lord and not for the devil, not for the enemy. The second group of people that might be in this room right now are those who are on the side of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I, I hope most of us are here. That we are on the side of the Lord. We are people who have been counted worthy of suffering. We are people who have been counted worthy of attack. When we think about what we're doing in this life, it is not for us but for His glory. We're thinking about how we can rescue or be a part of rescuing our neighbors. We're thinking about what it looks like to do ministry. We're wondering whether or not we need to move ourselves and our family to Los Animas to be a part of a church plan over there, even though we've got no desire to do it. Or maybe to Southeast South Asia. Or wherever. If this is you, I want you to take heart right now. For Jesus has overcome the darkness and he is fighting the battle and he has already won it. No matter what attack comes your way, he has been through worse for us. But there's a third group. A third group is a group of people I just want to call spectators. Now, I've never been a big sports fan. Most of you know that. I never use football analogies or baseball analogies or anything else because I don't know those sports well enough to talk about them. I have never seen much use in watching somebody do something that I would rather be doing myself. I never got the idea of sitting in a stand or sitting on a couch while others go out and do. I've also never understood how people sitting on the sides watching could identify so much with a team that they speak of the game or the team like they were out there in the middle of it. 
You ever heard somebody say, hey man, we got crushed today. You drank a beer and ate some popcorn. Right? We say, man, our guys did great today. Yeah, well, you ate a hot dog. Shouted some words, right? I don't get it. If you're a sports fan, great. I mean, I don't want to insult you. I don't make fun of you. The trouble is, when I look, and I look at church, and not our church, but church, what I see is a whole lot of spectators. And they identify with those who, man, are getting out there and going out. But what they're doing is sitting in the dugout, they're sitting on the bench, or they're sitting in the stands, and they never get the chance to play. There are those who are spectators who clearly are not fighting on Jesus' side. Right? There are those who would seek to destroy God's church, seek to kill us. But then there are those who are clearly fighting on Jesus' side, right? Hopefully most of us. We see it in our prayer lives, in our devotional lives. We see it on the streets. We see it as God uses us to change people around us. I pray that that would be all of us. And then there are the spectators who are sitting on the bench thinking that they are a part of this, but they are not. Like spectators of other sports, they cheer when things go their team's way. They shout when things don't go their way. They cringe when a player gets knocked down or run over or tackled. But that is as close to the action as they get. Are you against, for, or are you just a spectator watching it all happen? If we're under attack, we need to turn to Christ. We need to turn to him. If you're not under attack, then we need to turn to Christ. Church, when I think about this and I think about us, what I think about, and I'll say it again, is my prayer and my hope, and some of you may just leave our church because I start praying this. Maybe you will. If I start praying on a regular basis that we would all be so counted worthy of attack that when we get together on Sunday morning, this place is like an ER. We're doing triage and we're putting Band-Aids on each other and we're doing, I don't know, minor surgeries and whatever else. Some of you might, you don't want to be a part of that. I get it. But some of you might also be thinking, I need to be a part of that, and I've never been a part of that. Let's do this now. And if that's you, then let's do this now. Today's the day. Offer Christ your life, not just for salvation, but for him to be your entire life, to guide you and lead you every day, that we would be a people on mission together, that we would be a people serving the Lord together. That when I show up and and I need wounds healed, that you're ready to do that for me and I'm ready to do that for you and, and we do this church thing, I think the way it's meant to be done as a people who are on mission, knowing that the victory's already been won. Amen? Let us pray. God, we just come before you, Lord, and we pray that you would work. I pray, God, that you would work in our church. I pray, God, that you would work in our lives, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us, and I pray that you'd rescue us through these seasons. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who are counted worthy of suffering. Not because of what we do, but because of you. Because you are so big in our lives 
that when the world sees it, it just makes them uncomfortable. I pray, God, that you would strengthen us for that day, and in that day, Lord, to stand firm in you without wavering, but, God, with joy as we worship you, as we celebrate what you've done in our lives that would cause us to go from, from death to life and life that rejoices no matter what comes our way. Lord, I do pray that if there's anyone in this room right now who has not given their life to you, not just in salvation, but in mission and in purpose, Lord, that today your spirit would, would, would get into their hearts and their minds and would draw that out of them, and God would cause them to give their whole selves to you for your purpose and for your glory and for our joy. And God, I pray that we would be a people that would be ready for whatever comes because of what you've done and what you're doing in our lives. God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.